0: phone. Well good morning again if you would take your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1 is where we will be. Philippians 1 looking at verses 3 through 8. Philippians 1 verses 3 through 8. How many of you operate with a to-do list of some sort? I write down lists, I make a list, I do it, however that goes. I do as well, my to-do list is actually on my phone through an app called Todoist. Anybody heard of that, or am I just weird? Okay, okay, that's all right. I can send you a a link for it, and then I'll get some credit or something, I don't know. But to-do lists are wonderful things, right? But they're also maddening at times, aren't they? Every to-do list has at least three categories on it. And here they are. Number one, items that you have no hope of actually doing, but you feel like you've accomplished something by writing it down. You with me? Very true. The second one, though, is my favorite one. Items you already did, but you write down just so you can have the joy of crossing them off. Tell me I'm not the only one that does that. I know Dave does. We were talking about this the other day. You just you, you, you did it like three weeks ago, but you make a to-do list, and you're like, I got to look like I have some progress. So I'm going to write down what I did three weeks ago just to cross it off. And the third one, items you've started but haven't finished and probably will never finish. You got those on your list? The uh, I'll get back to it at some point projects. When Philippians 1 verses 3 through 8, I'd like, to, like us to see today that God always finishes the work that he starts in us. And that journey to completion in our lives is one of abundant Christian value for us. So let's read verses three through eight in Philippians 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ." I want to key in on verse number six this morning, because I kind of see that as the hub of this passage. So let's read verse six again. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's a major question that we have to ask ourselves as soon as we read that, because when it says that he has begun a good work, we have to ask ourselves, what then is the good work? What is the good work that God has begun in us? And maybe you can remember it this way. The good work is the good news. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I am confident of this, because the good work that God is at work doing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Honestly, in our world today, there's not much else we have confidence in, is there? Any confidence in the medical field, in politicians? But we can, as Paul says, have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Theologian John Stott said this just when the world is becoming more aware of its need, the church is becoming less sure of its mission. And the major reason for the diminishing Christian mission is the diminishing confidence in the Christian message. That's accurate in a world, and in even a Christian culture that does not know where to turn, we turn to the gospel because Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's what has the power. Why do we have so much confidence in this? Paul tells us it's because the gospel is not a work of man. It is a work of God, and God always accomplishes his work. I'm to look at verse six and show you number one. God began the good work of the gospel in us. God began the good work of the gospel in us. It says it right there in verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he, God, who has begun a good work in you. God began the good work of the gospel in us. Now, I know we all have different circumstances, maybe a different story, a different testimony through which the light of the gospel was revealed to us. But I can say this with, with, with confidence. For all of us, it was always God through Scripture who brought us that light. It was never us. Not one person in here can claim, I began the good work of the gospel in my life. It is always God who brings the good work, begins the good work in our lives. And that's clear to us in Philippians by two people. Remember last week we studied through Acts 16? where Paul went down to the the Ganges River there, and he had this riverside prayer meeting with a few ladies. And it says in Acts 16, 14, that God, that says one of the ladies that was was listening to Paul was a a woman by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple. And it says that when she heard what Paul taught, the Lord opened her heart to believe. You realize that up until that point, up to that point in her life, The gospel didn't connect. She hadn't believed. But when God, who begins the good work of the gospel in us, opens our heart to believe, then we believe. Who began the good work of the gospel in Lydia's heart? Very clearly, God did, because he opened her heart to believe. There's another great example, though, in Philippians. It's the writer of Philippians. Think back to Paul's conversion story on the road to Damascus, Acts 9. Was Paul out searching for God? Was he, you know, trying to find somebody? Somebody tell me the way of salvation. No, he was on his way to kill Christians. And Christ makes a special appearance to him. Definitely unique circumstances. The light that shines, Paul's blinded. He goes into town Ananias meets him. Remember that part of the story? And God changes Paul's life. Was Paul looking for it? No, he wasn't. God begins the work of the gospel in Paul's heart, just as he did in Lydia's heart. And Paul says here in Philippians 1.6 that he is confident of the good work in the gospel in the Philippians' hearts because they're not the ones who started it. God did. I don't know about you. Think of this in your own life. I don't know about you, but I am a whole lot more confident in God's work in my life than I am of my own work in my life. Is that true? I am a whole lot more confident in what God does when he works in me than what I try to do on my own. So we saw number one, God begins the good work of the gospel in us. Look at the rest of verse six being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So verse verse 6 clearly tells us that God starts the work, that he will complete the work, which means there's some sort of intermediate time in there too. If God began it, and at some point he will complete the work of the gospel in our hearts, that means we're somewhere in between that right now. It implies that he is continuing the work of the gospel in us right now. If he started it, he will finish it, and he's going to work through the power of the gospel in your life now. I want you to understand something. The gospel is not static. It's not once and done. Oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, I believed at one point. No, the gospel is what energizes our life to live for Christ. It is the power of the gospel in us that keeps us motivated and going in the right direction. It's not dead. The gospel is alive in us. And it's the verses surrounding verse 6, 3, 4, 5, 7, and 8 that give us evidence of the good work of the gospel that is present in Paul's life and in the Philippian church's life. And I want you to see this. Why is Paul so confident that God is working in the Philippian church? Why does he have such confidence? One of the reasons is because he has seen the evidence of God's work in them. Remember last week we talked about how the Philippians sent a gift to Paul, to encourage him while he was in prison, to help him with with some of his needs. That was evidence of God's work in them. You also see in 2 Corinthians 8 that they sent a gift to the Jerusalem saints when they were under persecution to provide for their needs, evidence of the work of the gospel in them. We saw in Acts 16 that the Philippian Christians early on had been faithful to Christ through their own difficult times of persecution. Paul knows God has begun to work in the Philippian church and he's continuing to work in them because he sees the fruit that the gospel brings. He sees the fruit in the Philippian church that the gospel brings. Let's talk about fruit for a second. And let me talk about it this way. Are you confident of God's work in someone else's life when you see no fruits of the spirit within them, when you see no love of Christ's church, and no appetite for spiritual things. Are you confident of the work of God in their lives? You shouldn't be. No. You shouldn't be confident of it. But they prayed a prayer one time. If it was true then, it will be true now. When God has truly regenerated and justified a person, His work, God's work of sanctification in their heart will bear noticeable fruit. There will be fruit. Matthew 7, verse 17 and 20, it says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. In Paul and in the Philippian church, and you're gonna see this in these verses in just a second. In Paul and in the Philippian church, the fruits of sanctification, the fruits of the work of the gospel were ripe for the picking. If you look at verse five, we're gonna start at verse five and kind of branch out from there. Here's one of the fruits of the gospel, the good work of God in the Philippians and in Paul. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now the fellowship that they had in the gospel. And it says, Paul says, I've had fellowship with you in the gospel from the first day that we met. When was that? It was down by the river. Riverside, when Riverside Church of Philippi started. Somebody told me last week, I think it should be called Creekside Church of Philippi. Remember the picture? It looks more like a creek. But when that little little prayer meeting happened, that was Paul's first introduction to them. And he says, I have enjoyed fellowship in the gospel with you since that point when Lydia and others believed. Why now do they have fellowship? They didn't have fellowship before. Why now do they have fellowship in the gospel? Because they have a common anchor point and the anchor point is Christ. They have commonality now because not because they're similar, not because they're in the same age group, not because they they work at the same job, but their commonality is Christ. That's where our unity is. That's where our fellowship in the gospel is. It is Christ. A couple weeks ago, Richard, Richard Smith told us a story about a lady they met in, in Chick-fil-A. This random Chick-fil-A, she was working. They were, they were, and he finally asked her, he said, are you a, are you a believer? I said, yeah, I am. And that's a person you never met before and probably, who knows, will never meet again. Yet there was a connection. Why? Because of Christ. Ever had that happen to you? where you're talking to somebody, never met him before, may never meet them again. And you have fellowship. Why? Because you look alike? Because you're from the same town? Because No, because of Christ. That happens, and it's a beautiful thing. But I want to take this a step further, because this fellowship in the gospel that Paul's talking about is more than just an internal friendship. It's more than just oh, a good feeling that we have when we're together. It is, it is rather a partnering together To share the gospel and expand the kingdom of Christ. That word fellowship there could be translated, and maybe is, if you have a different translation in front of you, it may be translated partnership. Partnership. Your partnership in the gospel. I want you to think about it in this way, kind of a team. Our fellowship in the gospel or our partnership with each other is the fellowship and camaraderie that a team has as they pursue the goal of winning. You ever seen that before the football game, right? They all huddle together and all kind of put their hands in. One, two, three, fight, or whatever it is they're saying. That's the camaraderie. That's us as the church coming together because we're going out and we're facing a common enemy. Not other believers, not other churches. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle. And we are together in the fight. We have fellowship in the gospel, not just to feel good about each other, but to go into fight and to expand the kingdom of Christ. Look at verse seven, he mentions this. He says, the Philippian church, there in the middle of it, it says, in as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul says, the, Philippi- the Philippian church has partaken with me in my imprisonment, in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians were Paul's teammates in the proclamation of the gospel. It's a great picture for us. Kent Hughes says this, fellowship occurs among friends committed to a common cause or goal and flourishes through their common pursuit of it. Did you hear that? A common goal and a common pursuit of that goal. For Paul and the Philippians and for us today, our common goal, our common pursuit is what? The gospel of Christ the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And I tell you this, and I've experienced it myself, and I know you have as well, that the very best fellowship occurs when you serve together for the cause of Christ. You ever had that? You can sit around and talk all you want, but when you get together with somebody and you say, yeah, we're linking arms for the gospel, whether it's through a VBS ministry or through a fair booth or whatever it is, and you say, we're linking arms together for the sake of the gospel, that's when fellowship really takes the next step. We're in this together, we are a team. And that fellowship that Paul talks about is part of the sanctifying work of God, which he began at salvation, and he continues through us now. He continues the work of the gospel in us. But when I go even further here, because the fellowship in the gospel, verse five, but there's so much more in this passage too. Look at the relationship. Look at the type of fellowship that Paul and the Philippian church had. Look at verse three. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Fellowship, the work of the gospel brings fellowship, and that fellowship is evidenced by gratefulness. Paul says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Every time you get brought into my mind, I thank God for you. And that's a common sentiment. If you read the early part of Paul's epistles, you'll see that he writes that often to the people. He says, I thank God for you. And I think that's a big lesson for us. Because I think sometimes our calibration is off in our gratefulness. I think we thank thank God for things more than we should. And we don't thank him for the people in our lives as much as we should. You with me on that? I think we we look at the stuff we have and we say, thank God for my stuff. And we forget the people, maybe. Are you thankful for the people in your life? Like Paul said here, I thank my God every time I remember you. Have you told God you're thankful for him? Have you told them you're thankful for them? I want to show you one of the most powerful things in the universe. One of the most powerful things in the whole universe. Here it is. Is that not true? You ever received one? Brightens your whole day. Just to be able to say thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you mean to me. Paul. That's what Paul's saying here. He loved the Philippian church, and he told them that. I thank God for you every time I think of you. We have the opportunity this Saturday to tell Pastor and in- 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 Annette that, and I hope you will. Thank you. Thank you for your work and your service here. Look at verse four. Here's the next thing that fellowship in the gospel brings. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Prayer. Gratefulness, verse three. Prayer, verse four. Paul says, Every time I think of you, I'm thankful for you. And every time I think of you, I pray for you. That's powerful. Do you pray for people? Or do you just ask God for more stuff? Pray for people. I think our our calibration there is a little off too sometimes. Pray for the people. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are serious needs among us, spiritual needs among us that we need to lift before the throne of grace. Flip it around here because Paul says, hey, every time I, I think of you, I pray for you all. But flip that around in our life too. Is your fellowship with others one that when they think of you, they thank God for you and pray for you? Or does nobody know your name so they don't even know who to pray for? Fellowship in the gospel. Or do some people thank God that they're not with you and pray that they don't have to see you again? Maybe that's what the prayer is. My grandpa said, and you guys remember this, he said some people are a joy wherever they go and some people are a joy when they go. And we have to think, well, which one am I? What is my fellowship with other people? That Paul says, I love this Philippians church. When I think of them, I pray for them. When I think of them, I'm thankful for them. Look at the next part at the end of verse four. He says, I make requests with joy. When I think of these people, there is joy every time I think of them. And think of Paul's circumstances in the Philippian church's circumstances. Where was Paul when he wrote this, this letter? He was imprisoned in Rome, the Philippian church under persecution in Philippi, a Roman city. And yet Paul says, when I think of you, you bring me joy, even though my circumstances aren't great. And when the Philippian church thought of Paul, it brought them joy. They wouldn't have sent a gift to him if it didn't, even though their circumstances weren't great. That's part of the good work of the gospel that God is working in us. He is sanctifying us so that we find joy regardless of what our circumstances are. Regardless of it's good or bad, we find joy. Joy in the fellowship of the gospel that's rooted and centered around Christ. Now look at verse seven and eight. Here's the next thing that fellowship brings. Paul says, even as it is meet or right, even it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Paul says, it is right for me to think this way of you. Oh, Which way is he thinking? To be thankful for them, to pray for them, to rejoice with them, to fellowship with them, to be confident of God's work in them. Why? He says, it's right for me to think this way. And here you see the love of the apostle Paul. He says, because I have you in my heart. You are near and dear to me. I have you in my heart. Now, in the Greek, that little phrase there, I have you in my heart, can also read, you have me in your heart. And I don't think we necessarily have to choose which one it is. Because if Paul has the Philippian church in their heart, and the Philippian church has Paul in their heart, see the mutual relationship? There's a genuine mutual appreciation and affection between Paul and the Philippian church. Now, verse eight shows us just how intense Paul's love for the Philippian church was. He says, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest, that's a little awkward. Bowels is one word you never think you'd talk about from the pulpit, but here goes, all right? In that day, the bowels were thought to be the innermost part where where feelings and emotions lay. And when you told somebody you loved them from your bowels, it would be you know, that, a deep affection for them. But it doesn't mean that today, does it? If you came up to me and you told me you loved me from your bowels, I don't know what I would do. I Honestly, I might just walk away. That's why I think a, a newer translation here would be helpful for us to understand this, this phrase. What he's saying is this. In verse 8, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is he loved them with the same love that Christ had for them. That's tough. That's deep. What it is is John 13, 34. When Jesus says, love one another as Christ has loved us as I have loved you. You say, how do you get to the point of loving someone like Christ loves them? How do you get there? Well, you don't do it on your own because remember, the work of the gospel in your life is not a work of yours. It's a work of God in you. And through the power, the work of the sanctification of the power of God in our lives, he's working in us and molding and shaping us to move in that direction whereby we love others as Christ has loved us. So we saw where God began the work of the gospel in us. We see where God continues the good work of the gospel in us. And I want to close this out with the end of verse 6. It says that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will complete the good work of the gospel in us because God never leaves a job unfinished and he never leaves a believer in Jesus unsaved. If God began the work of salvation in you, he will complete it and you will not get lost on the way. If however, you began the good work of the gospel in you, then you have to complete it. And trust me, you will get lost on the way. It is a work of God. You might say, well, hold on a second. God will complete the good work of the gospel in us. He will complete it. I'm confused because what does it mean when you say God will complete my salvation? I thought I was saved when I believed in Christ. What am am I missing here? Did I I miss out on something? Am I not completely saved? I thought I I was saved when I believed in Christ. Well, you were, and and you are. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sins and you're given the righteousness of Christ that is unchangeable, that is undeniable. And if you have, I don't, know the, I don't know the audience, I don't know your heart, but if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, the Bible says today is the day of salvation for you. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Paul told us that last week in Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer came to him and he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But for those already saved, you're thinking, well, what does it mean that my salvation is incomplete? Well, it is. In this way. If you are as saved today as you ever will be, then you have been terribly duped. I have been terribly duped. If I'm as saved today as I ever will be, I, something went horribly wrong somewhere because I still sin. I still deal with the consequences of sin. We still live in a world that is ravaged by sin, by death, disease, and destruction. You say, certainly there's more to salvation than this. There is. There's a whole lot more to it. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you were saved from the power and penalty of sin, but you are not yet saved from the presence of sin. But I'm here to tell you today, there is coming a day you will, you will be saved from the presence of sin because the good work of the gospel that God began in our life at salvation, he is continuing in us now and he will be faithful to complete it in us. Someday you will be completely free from the power and from the presence and from the penalty of sin and you will live in perfect harmony with God and others. There is coming that day for us. The song we sang earlier, Yet Not I, But Through Christ, it says, When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, Yet not I, But Through Christ in me. There is, will come a day when that race will be done and your salvation will be completely realized for all the glory that it is. So, well, when will that day come? There's some here today that are thinking, I just want that day. Get me to that point, God. Notice the end of verse 6. When will it happen? He says, God will perform that work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, that was helpful. What does that mean? What's the day of Jesus Christ? You know what's awesome? When scripture answers scripture. Say, what's the day of Jesus Christ in verse six? Go to chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Philippians answers Philippians for us. Chapter three, verse 20 and 21 says this. We're asking the question, what is the day of Christ? What is the day of Jesus? He says in verse 20, for our conversation, or really the word should be citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. What is the day of Jesus Christ? It's the day when he comes back from heaven, And he takes our vile, sinful, wicked, nasty body and he transforms it into a body that is fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's the day of Jesus Christ. That's not even it. Look at chapter two, verse nine. What's the day of Jesus Christ? Two, verse nine. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day of Jesus Christ is the day when every knee bows, when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, and it will happen. Everyone will say, you are Lord, you are right. That's when the work of salvation, when that day happens, Philippians 3, 20 and 21 and 2, 9 through 11. When that day happens, the work of salvation that God began in our hearts and is continuing in us now will be finally complete at that day. That's a day to look forward to. That's a day to look forward to. Would you go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15? We read this for our scripture reading and I want to close out the message today with it. I think now that we've talked through Philippians 1, 6, this passage will take on a whole new light. Look at the first four verses, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. That's the work that God started in our hearts when he opened our hearts to believe in the gospel. It's the work that began. Now look at the very last verse, verse 58. 1558, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, there's the continuous good work of the gospel that God is accomplishing in us. He says, because he has, God has started it and because he will be faithful to complete it, be diligent now to be sanctified in the truth. Be diligent now in the here and now. Then look at verse 51 through 57. Here's the completion of the gospel's good work in our lives. Verse 51, chapter 15, "...behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality." So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the completion of the gospel's good work in our lives. That's when it's finally and completely wrapped up and God says you are ushered into eternity. It's the day when Jesus returns and death is swallowed up in victory. It's the day when, thanks be to God, we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel's work in our hearts is done. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Are you excited for it? When the gospel's work that God began in you is finally complete, oh boy, what a day that will be. Let's pray.